everyone and welcome to today's episode of the Pigskin Pulpit. I'm your host, the Sideline Statsman, and today we're talking about Tua Tagovailoa, Derrick Henry, and the AFC East. Why those topics? I'll tell you. Tua Tagovailoa finally had his medical recheck and they said he was healthy and ready to go. And then he proceeded to say on Wednesday that he could play tomorrow. If he was ready to go, it would be tomorrow, and he could suit up and he could play an NFL game as a rookie. Instills a lot of confidence, but how does this affect the draft? Derrick Henry gets his $10.2 million franchise tender, which raises the question, why did Tannehill get the long-term contract and Henry get the tag? I'll explain. And in the final story, which will be an opinion topic, a general manager for an NFL team, who I will announce later, said that the Patriots are still the team to beat in the AFC East despite losing Tom Brady. Which sparks a new argument. Who is the real powerhouse now in the AFC East? Who is the team to beat? I'll break down each team and tell you who I believe is the powerhouse and the team to beat. All that and more on this episode of The Pigskin Pulpit. Starting off with Tua Tagovailoa as the first topic. Tua Tagovailoa, as you all may know, was the Alabama quarterback for three seasons, including when he came in to fill in in his freshman season for Jalen Hurts during the national championship against Georgia, where he took the team in the second half, came back, stormed him into overtime, where they ended up beating the University of Georgia to win the national championship. In his sophomore season, he went to go take on Clemson and lost in the national championship, which was his Heisman campaign where he would fall just short to Kyler Murray. And in the past season, his junior year, he had thrown for 33 touchdowns and three interceptions before falling down with a season-ending injury and a college-ending injury. His career in college was over as he decided, I'm going to declare for the draft at one point considered one of the most highly sought-after prospects among QBs, he started to fall down draft boards due to this injury. But now that the medical staff has cleared him and said that he is ready to go and that the hip is in good shape, is he going to rise up the boards once again? Let's talk about it. So his recheck was done by independent doctors who were... who were recommended by the NFL team physicians, which they returned with the results being, quote-unquote, overwhelmingly positive. It doesn't clearly indicate that he is ready to go and that he could play tomorrow, but it does say that they are overwhelmingly positive, which means it's a good sign and that he should be able to be ready to go once the season comes up. Now, Tewood said on Wednesday, though, on SportsCenter with ESPN that he was 100% and ready to go. So if he was told to suit up tomorrow, he would go out on that field and he would play his rookie season. Now rumors also have been circulating because of this injury that Tua Tagovailoa would no longer be one of the top quarterback prospects. This is coming from executives and leaders around the league for different teams. I can't tell you which teams because that's confidential. But they have, some teams have been valuing Justin Herbert, the quarterback out of Oregon, at a higher level than Tua Tagovailoa. 
To me, that's news. Because as great of a quarterback as Justin Herbert is, I don't think he's on the same level as Tua Tagovailoa. The problem is, can he stay on that level that he had in college? Tua is one of the smartest quarterbacks, if not the smartest quarterback in this draft class. I'm just saying it outright. The only question mark is his health. The injury he had was a pretty big deal with the broken hip. There is also the fact that he had to get surgeries for his ankles where he had to have a bar surgically put in with screws so it holds the ankle together. So it's not a good surgery, and most of the time, players have a hard time coming back from that. But he's come back very well. So the question just comes down to now, can he stay healthy and avoid getting injuries? Because this could be a situation where this is a great prospect who just gets injured all the time and just isn't performing. So, like, RG3 is a good example. RG3 was great with the Washington Redskins for years at first, once he was first drafted. However, after the first few years, he started declining. And it was a combination of injuries and just the performance started to take a downhill, downward spiral. And it hurt the Redskins, so they ended up moving on with him and keeping Kirk Cousins on the roster. So RG3 became a journeyman backup quarterback in the league. Just like that. So, this could end up being like one of those situations. I don't want it to, but it could end up being like that. So, it goes two ways. It can go with RG3 route, where he's good for a couple years, and injuries and a downward spiral ruin his career altogether. Or, he could be a great dual-threat quarterback that people could rely on. He is above average and elite in almost every skill I've seen for quarterbacks. The question mark is just his health. If he didn't have that injury, I guarantee you he either has the Heisman in his hands right now rather than Joe Burrow, or he would be the number one quarterback in this draft, and Joe Burrow would be farther down the boards as a result. Because Tua's injury happened, it impacted draft boards, and now Joe Burrow is number one, even though I see him as a Tony Romo. We won't talk about that. That's for another day when I cover a mock draft. So let's go deeper into this Tua situation. Now that he has the injury, he's recovered, he says he's ready to go 100%. Where is he going to end up? A lot of people have been linking the Dolphins to Tua, which makes a lot of sense. It's been around for a while. I didn't want to believe in that at first because I didn't think Tua was the right fit for Miami. But now that I'm seeing it more and more, and I'm watching it over and over again, and actually looking at the Dolphins roster, he's a good fit. They have the speedy receivers that are necessary for the success. For Tua, in a system like that where you've got quick receivers, and you've got a quarterback who's smart and has a strong arm, anybody could succeed. So you're giving him Devontae Parker, and you're giving him Jakeem Grant, and you're giving him Preston Williams. That's three decent, above-average receivers. They're all great. So put them into that system, and their production's going to severely rise. You're gonna, you might see a 1,000-yard season out of either Preston Williams or Devontae Parker. And don't forget Mike Gesicki might get utilized more. Tua was a fan of using his tight ends in certain situations. So you might see more reps for Mike Gesicki. However, what if Miami doesn't take Tua? What happens next? What if he ends up falling down the board? 
and let's say this Justin Herbert thing's true. Joe Burrow goes to the Bengals' number one pick. It's pretty much a lock unless they trade out of it. You know the next few picks aren't going to go for a quarterback. You know the Cardinals will definitely not go for a quarterback. I don't think they would. They have Kyler Murray, obviously. I don't think the Giants would take a quarterback. We all know the only teams that really need a quarterback are the Chargers. They are probably going to want a quarterback, and they're the only ones inside of there. Maybe teams like the Colts are going to trade in and make a move for him, but I don't see it happening. Other teams to watch out for, Tampa Bay. They may have Tom Brady, but they don't have a strong successor. Tom Brady, they have a maximum for two years. Don't be surprised if you see Bruce Arians try to pull some stuff and get in there. He'll try to find his way into the top 10 to make the pick. They won't let him fall that far. So it could end up like this. Joe Burrow goes to the Bengals. They go down a few picks. At the number 5 pick, the Dolphins get Justin Herbert instead. Or they take an offensive lineman. After that, who's left? Just the Chargers. And Carolina. The Panthers and the Chargers. Those are the only other two teams in the top 10 who would really need a quarterback. And Panthers taking Tua, it, it looks good to me. I think it's very possible. If the Panthers end up getting Tua Tagovailoa, I can promise you the Panthers are going to fight like maniacs next season. They will. But enough about Tua. He looks like he's going to Miami. That's where he should go. It's a fit. Any other team who wants him would have to trade up and give up a lot in order to draft him. Even though we don't know if he's going to get injured again or if his, how his career is going to turn out, as most quarterbacks and prospects are. So the smart thing to do is just let Miami take Tua. Just let him take him. That way we can all fill our fantasies of the hashtag tank for Tua. I mean, that was a crazy hashtag. That's a crazy assumption, too, that the Dolphins were tanking. I can't believe everybody fell for that last season. Unbelievable. Moving on now, let's go to the next topic. Derrick Henry gets a $10.2 million franchise tender. The tender is being used to keep Henry in Tennessee on a different type of franchise tag. I wish I could explain it better, but it's just how it is. He got a franchise tag. He's getting a $10.2 million tender in addition. So, they wanted to get a long-term contract done for him, but they couldn't get it done. Why not? Well, it seems like what was going on is Henry wanted to be the highest-paid running back in the game. That's my assumption. And for good reason, too. The man ran for over 1,500 yards last season and won the rushing title. He had over 200 carries last season, pretty much powering the entire Titans' offense. There's no doubt in my mind that Henry probably deserves the being the highest paid in the game. But that's not how business works. See, business owners, especially team owners, they don't want to give you too much because they know that if they give you what they want, what you want, you're going to keep asking for more as your production goes up. I'm going to give you guys a great example right now. DeMarco Murray had a great season with the Cowboys years ago. 
you guys know, back in the days before he went to the Philadelphia Eagles and was their running back. On the Cowboys, he had a really good season, won the rushing title that year. Easily the best running back in the game. For some reason, the Cowboys were going to give him money, and then they traded him, or they let him go. And he went to the place that was going to offer him the best value. He went to Philly. Okay, you went to the rival. Not the smartest thing, but you went to the rival. So, okay. Okay. His production went down being with Philly. It didn't help the team. It actually hurt the team, having DeMarco Murray. It's just a name. He had one great season, and everything fell apart from there. And they paid him. See, that's the mistake I'm talking about. You don't want to pay a guy who had one great season. I know he had back-to-back seasons of over 1,000 yards rushing. That's great. That's great. I'm very happy for Derrick Henry. But that doesn't mean that two great seasons of production are going to constitute me making you the highest paid in the game. That's like Ezekiel Elliott saying it over and over again. But the problem with Ezekiel Elliott is, what happened when you came back last season? I saw nothing out of you. Sure, you missed a few games. That That's fine. But are you kidding me? I get the whole mentality, I'm the superstar. I deserve the money. But at the same time, think about your team. They sign you, let's say, $20 million a year, just like Jadavion Clowney was asking. That's insane still to me. But you ask for that much money, you're taking out the contracts of three, three or four players on your team, and they have to be let go and they can't resign them. So you just gave up four players just to keep you on the team. It seems selfish a little bit. Hell, you could tell me I'm wrong all you want, but it seems pretty selfish. One large contract is a combination of contracts that could be good for four subpar to average players on your team who helped you or in some way helped the team win games. Take them away. How many wins does that go down? Let's say that takes away two or three wins. Okay? Let's say it takes away two or three wins. They draft a guy who's got potential, but doesn't meet up to the standard to the other players for that season alone. The Titans made it in last year with a 9-7 and record. Take those two games away, you're 7-9, you missed the playoffs. Boom, just like that. Just because you paid a guy who won the rushing title last season and had two 1,000-yard seasons in a row, you're going to pay him $20 million. It's business sense. They're trying their best not to give him all the money. Now, on that note, though, I'm also not going to excuse the fact that they gave Ryan Tannehill that type of money. Because that was just absurd. Ryan Tannehill is a game manager quarterback. Yes, he can throw somewhat of a deep ball. I get it. He throws 45, 50 yards downfield. That's great. But he's not throwing frequently in the game. His production levels are lower because everything funnels through Derrick Henry. How can you win if everything is funneled through your running back and your quarterback is making throws like they they look great, great throws. Um, He's making eight completions. Great. That doesn't sound good. On 14 passes, you got to throw more before I can even consider giving you that much money. End of the day, I can use that same argument on Ryan Tannehill. Oh, I I came in and filled in a 
as a backup quarterback for Marcus Mariota. I carried this team to the playoffs and all the way to the AFC Championship. And I feel like I deserve some kind of money because if it wasn't for me, we wouldn't be here right now. See, I get that. I get that argument because Ryan Tannehill was an upgrade from Marcus Mariota, who I did love very dearly when he came out of the draft when he was coming out of the draft. But Derrick Henry was consistent all year. All year he was having strong d- games and he was staying up there with production and every time he played a tough defense he showed out when he needed to. He was always there. He tried to stay as healthy as possible and help the team win games. And he was there every time. And he met every need you had. He completed every goal you had. I mean, if you don't pay Derrick Henry, I'm going to pay Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry should have got the contract. I'll say it that way. You have one massive contract to give away. One that's over $20 million. I'm giving it to Derrick Henry 100%. Over Ryan Tannehill? Hell yeah. Ryan Tannehill. Good quarterback. Game manager. Knows how to control the game so that everything works in their favor. Fits the system well. Do I think he they can get a better quarterback? Of course. They went with Ryan Tannehill because he had a great season. They hope he can reproduce it. That's why they signed him to the contract. And if he doesn't reproduce, they're going to trade him. That's the thing y'all don't get. If the Titans can't make the playoffs again and and be a team to beat, they will get rid of Ryan Tannehill. I can promise you. They will. And they will eat the cap for it. So, at the end of the day, Derrick Henry is the guy who should have got the contract Tannehill should not have gotten it. He should have been franchise tag. But okay, it's just business. I'm going to let the Titans do what they're, the Titans are going to do. I have no say in it. Which brings us to our final topic. The AFC East. I've seen a lot of talk lately about the AFC East being a weak division next year. I don't like it. I don't like the talk. Because it's going to be extremely competitive as every division game is. That's the problem with us, the fans. The fans are stuck on the mentality that once a star player leaves a team, the team is going to be weak. And I don't agree with that statement whatsoever. If anyone can name an example where a superstar left a team and the team went to the worst team in the league, I will be very surprised. And I will shout you out. I will shout you out on my Instagram and on my Twitter if you get this right. If you can prove me wrong, I'll gladly, gladly oblige. So, just to prove it, my Twitter handle is at tstatsman. And for Instagram, it is at the.sideline.statsman. Make sure to DM me, and if you can prove it to me, then bam, you will get a shout-out on the podcast and on my story. So anyway, let's look at this now. The team that said that the Patriots were the team to beat still in the AFC East is the Buffalo Bills. The general manager for the Buffalo Bills said the Patriots are the team to beat in the AFC East. 
Which got me thinking, are we sure about that? The way free agency has played out, we've seen a lot of changes made for every team across the league. So the question now becomes, who really is the powerhouse? Who is the team to be? So what I did was, I wrote down every team's positional need and their strengths. Their strengths and weaknesses, simplified. Every team, at every position. I'm going to tell you where it is. And I'm going to give you my, my judgment on it. Based off what I know. And I'm also going to rank them from the most likely team to beat to the least likely team to beat. Basically the worst team in the, in the division versus the best. Here we go. Let's take our first look now at the Buffalo Bills. Who made this egregious statement? The Buffalo Bills have made some great signings, some good trades, and I really respect what they've done to try to rebuild the Buffalo's defense and keep it intact. However, I still do see a weakness at the cornerback position. I know you got Tredavious White, but you got nobody on the other side. Gotta fix that. Defensive end. Cool. Jerry Hughes. Nice. You lost Shaq Lawson, didn't get a solid replacement. Might have to look to the draft for that. To which I recommend Yetter Grossmatos. And then the interior defensive line. There's a problem there. I can't explain to you what it is, but there's a problem in the interior defensive line. I read the roster, and for once, and I'm telling you, this is true. If I don't know the player, they are probably not significant on the team. I mean it, because I study these rosters like a book. If I don't know the player's name, it's not happening. If I'm correct, though, it is Starlo Tulele. Starlo Tulele is just... He's not the answer. Got to get another defensive tackle in there. I'm not kidding. That defensive line needs to be stronger next year, and you're going to need the draft to do that. The other positions I see that are going to be an issue for the Bills are none. Everything else is pretty solid all around. There's arguments going around saying the running back position could be improved, but I'm telling you, Devin Singletary and TJ Yeldon is enough. The strengths, though. Wide receiver. Um, of course. It's the strength. Stephon Diggs and John Brown together. If you guys don't know who John Brown is, watch the highlights from last season. Every time Josh Allen threw a deep throw to him that was actually on target, he caught it for big gains. He was very good at that. He's a deep threat. And then Cole Beasley in the slot. What gets better than that? You got three solid receivers in there and one pretty much superstar on that in that receiving core, being Stephon Diggs. Next up, running back. I already told you, Devin Singletary, TJ Yeldon, good duo. Offensive line, solid all around. Biggest names I like to point out, Quentin Spain. They re-signed him for the guard position. It was a great signing. I'm very happy about that. Protects the inside of the line. And then the safety position. Come on, man. Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, I'm in love with that. That's great. That's a great safety duo. The Bills are definitely a tough team to beat, but let's see how the other three teams fared compared to the Buffalo Bills. The Miami Dolphins are next. I feel like I'm wasting my time doing this, but I'll, I'll go through it anyway. They need a wide receiver because Devontae Parker, Jakeem Grant, Preston Williams. 
I would look for an upgrade over Jakeem Grant and maybe an extra guy for size on the outside. And then trade away Devontae Parker, but I won't I won't get crazy like that. I won't get crazy like that. Yet. Um, they need improvements on the offensive line, especially the guard and tackle position. Uh, quarterback, obviously. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Josh Rosen, neither one of them are the answer for that team, even though Fitzpatrick didn't do terrible last season. He didn't do terrible. Defensive end. I mean, what else is there to say? They need one guy, one defensive end, and they're in a good spot. Now, most of you would probably be telling me to look at the nose tackle position, but God shows pretty good. It's a pretty good nose tackle. Don't be fooled. And then inside linebacker. I mean, they lost a lot of guys. They they needed to upgrade the linebacker core. They did. They just didn't hit the inside as hard as they needed to. And then their strengths. Cornerback. Xavier Howard with, you know, Byron Jones. Best cornerback duo in the league. I'm saying it now. You could throw Devin McCourty and Stephon Gilmore at me. Telling you. That's the best duo. Come at me. Uh, safeties. The safety position is, uh, it's interesting. It's got some strong players, a couple old All-Stars. I know they lost Rashad Jones, but they're still a strong safety squad. I don't think that they're going to have any real problems. I still think it's a strength for them. A little bit of a downgrade from usual, but it's still solid enough to work. And then the tight end position, Mike Gesicki. Love that kid. Gesicki's such a strong tight end. I just wish he had more throws in his direction. He's a great blocker, one of the most underrated tight ends in this league. I really hope teams do the right thing for him. He's a good player. Very strong. Get a quarterback that's going to throw to him. Please take Tua. And that's it for the Dolphins. So obviously you can tell they're not better than the Bills. Let's go to the next team, the New England Patriots who they were saying were the team to beat. Needs, quarterback. Out the gate, quarterback. I like Jared Stidham, don't get me wrong. I think he could be the next Brady. But I'm telling you, I don't see it clear like that. I still think there's a lot of doubt, and I wouldn't trust him with my life. So, QB's a weak spot. Tight end position, obviously no Gronk, no help. Matt Lacoste, not the answer. Defensive tackle, Bo Allen, who you got from Tampa. Come on. You could do better than that. Nope. Defensive end. I can't name you a defensive end, except Lawrence Guy. That's an issue. uh, Linebacker. You lost Kyle Van Noy, one of the biggest guys that you could have on that team, and you lost him. Wow. That sucks. And then at the edge position... I don't see a guy from the outside linebacker position making any moves to come and rush the quarterback. I don't see it. So, that's a big weakness. On the strength side, though, cornerback, Devin McCourty, Stephon Gilmore, one of the best tandems in the league. Love it. Safety position. I don't even got to explain it. You guys know. You guys know. I, I like that. Safety position. Led by Patrick Chung. Running back, Sony Michelle, James White, End of story. Offensive line, they've always had a strong offensive line. Shaq Mason, Marcus Cannon. I mean, come on. Those two guys alone, big names. The entire offensive line is solid all around. A lot of credit. Could I see them as a powerhouse team? Possibly. On the same level as the Bills? No. 
And now this leads me to the Jets, the New York Jets. Needs. Wide receiver. I know they got Brashad Perriman, and you guys think that solves everything. You lost Robbie Anderson, who I think is better than Brashad Perriman. So it's Jamison Crowder, Brashad Perriman, and Quincy Anunwa. Sorry, that's a loss for me. Tight end position. Chris Herndon can't stay out of trouble. Ryan Griffin is not the best tight end in the world. Sorry, you need a fix. Guard. Guard. I'm going to leave it like that statement. Guard. That's really what they need. Defensive end. Need it. Edge. You need it. Cornerback. You need it. Like, is there an argument anymore? The Jets have a lot of holes they need to fill on that team before I can even put them as a powerhouse. Strengths. Safety. Love the combination of Marcus May, Jamal Adams. Running back. Le'Veon Bell. Enough said. Quarterback. Sam Darnold. Dude's a star. Just needs a team to be built properly around him. You want me to rank these one to four? Here it is. Number one. The Buffalo Bills are the team to be in this division. 100%. It's the Buffalo Bills. Don't let the GM fool you. Second, the Patriots, 100%. Bill Belichick's still the head coach. They are still a team to beat if they can build up that team better in the draft. Third, the Jets by a hair. And then the fourth spot, last spot, goes to the Dolphins. So once again, Bills are the team to beat in the AFC East. And that concludes the podcast. Thank you guys for listening to the Pigskin Pulpit. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at TStatsman and on Instagram at the.sideline.statsman. We'll have another episode up for you on Tuesday. So until then, we'll see you next time. Have a great day, everybody.